Hi there, precious friends. Today we're in session four of our series that we're calling Discovering the Dynamics of Prayer. And today we're going to talk about the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus is our model, our example in everything. He is our standard. And he came to earth to die, to make atonement for the sins of the world, to defeat the powers of darkness, and to show us how to live. So when we have questions or need an example for living in this world, then we can look at the Lord Jesus and the record that we have in Scripture, especially in the Gospels. Prayer was a way of life for the Lord Jesus. Prayer was one of the, the great truths which he came into the world to teach and to illustrate. We've seen in our lessons in this series already on prayer that God wants us to pray. It's part of what we do. It's a part of our relationship with him. And, and praying must be done. God commands it. We need it and we must do it. And so sometimes we get negligent and have all kinds of questions and think, well, what good is it? And we skip over it. But we don't need to do that. Nothing is more conspicuous in the activities of the life of the Lord Jesus than his praying. Uh, it's recorded many, many times in the New Testament. He taught us the lesson of prayer by putting it into practice so we can look at his life, his praying, and get a clue as to what we need to do. Because I want to tell you, it is convicting to my heart to consider that if he had to pray that much, why do I think I don't? So he taught us by his example, not just by his lips. So we're going to look this morning at the prayer life of the Lord Jesus. Let's first of all ask the question, why did he pray? Uh, that's puzzling to a lot of people uh, because, after all, Jesus is God. So why did he need to pray? There are at least three reasons why Jesus prayed. The first one, uh, we already said that he prayed as an example to us. He set a pattern. He set an example for all of his followers. Second reason might be that Jesus was both human and divine, so from his human nature as a Jewish believer, it was a natural thing for him to pray. And then thirdly, the members of the Trinity communicate together. That's a fascinating topic by itself. But the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all communicate together. And so as God is the Son, then Jesus would communicate or pray to God the Father. Jesus lived in total dependence on the Father, total absolute dependence on the Father. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said the Son, he himself, can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. And then on down later in that chapter, in verse 30, Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. Now that's a mouthful. 
for an example for us that is huge. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus never did a single thing independent of the Father. He just didn't. In the life of Jesus, we see absolute dependence, absolute surrender, absolute submission, absolute obedience, and absolute humility. That was his relationship with God the Father. Now, because Jesus was totally dependent on the Father, he would take the time to stop, to see, to hear, to fellowship with the Father, to get instruction from the Father. That took priority over everything else that he did. Prayer proves our dependence on God. Prayerlessness means, I don't need God in this situation. I've got this one. I've got it figured out. Well, Jesus never said such a thing. And so when we don't pray, then it is a position of pride where we think, I've got this. I don't need God here. Because the root of all prayerlessness is pride. It's self-sufficiency. It's doing it my way. Now, most of us tend to pray mostly when we're in trouble or when somebody's sick or maybe on Sunday or maybe you're in a a religious group of some kind, and somebody calls on you to pray. And for some people, that's the limit of their prayer life. Well, Jesus made prayer a priority. Prayer is bringing God into every situation. It's a mindset, but it's also being intentional about asking him to be in every situation, not to come and bless what we're doing, but to get instructions from him about what we need to be doing and how we need to be doing. So I want us to just take some time uh, today to look at some moments in Jesus' prayer life. And I think you'll be able to draw a lot of your own conclusions just from looking at these times when Jesus prayed. Let's begin in Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3 and verse 21. Luke 3, 21. Now it came about when all the people were baptized that Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, heaven opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came out of heaven Thou art my beloved son, in thee I am well pleased. We recognize that as the baptism of Jesus. In these two verses, Luke begins the story of the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And it was a time when people were being baptized. John the Baptist was baptizing lots of people and Jesus was baptized. But what I want you to notice about this passage at this moment is that it says he was praying. He was praying. Now, Luke's account is very brief, but Matthew, Mark, and John also wrote about the baptism of Jesus. But in these two short verses, we see the Trinity communicating in unity together. It's fascinating to me because the Son is being baptized. 
the Holy Spirit descends and the Father speaks in an audible voice from heaven. All three are present simultaneously at the same time in the same place. So Jesus was praying and that brought all of this about. Then flip over, if you will, with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Beginning in verse 28. And some eight days after these sayings, it came about that he took along Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men, Moses and Elijah, standing with him. And it came about, as these were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let's make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. And while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. This is what we refer to as the transfiguration. Jesus took Peter and James and John to a special prayer meeting. And I hope you saw that as we begin reading verse 29, and while he was praying. It was while he was praying, not while he was preaching, not while he was healing, not while he was casting out demons, while he was praying. And God responded to that. Now, when he was praying, he was transfigured. I think there are probably a lot of lessons in that because when we pray, we are changed. And so Jesus was transfigured. And once again, once again, out of heaven, there's this approving, consoling, affirming, witnessing, audible voice of his Father God. Let's look at another one. Back up to Luke chapter 5. This is an interesting chapter, and this is kind of a typical day in the life of the Lord Jesus. Um, he was busy. He was uh, often interrupted 
Uh, everybody was trying to get to him. And so this is just kind of a typical day because Jesus' days were just always filled with all of these demands on him and on his time and on his energy. Let's just read uh, the first 16 verses of Luke chapter 5. Now it came about while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land, and he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "'Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch.' And Simon answered and said, "'Master,' We've worked all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding, or my translation would be, if you say so, I will do it. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because, because of the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, Jesus said to Simon, don't fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And it came about while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest. Make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But the news about him was spreading even farther. And great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But, verse 16, here it is. He himself would often slip away to the wilderness, or literal translation is to the lonely places, and pray. Withdrawing and praying. When we find those relative to the Lord Jesus in his prayer life, we find those to be continuous present tense. It was something always going on. It was a way of life for Jesus. But look with me right now at verse 17. Same, same place. And it came about one day that he was teaching, and there were some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. What verse preceded that? He had gone away to pray. He had gone away to pray. It was a way of life. I love it that here in verse 17, this, this translation says it came about one day. 
Literally, it says, on one of those days. So that's how we know this is kind of a typical, typical day in the prayer of the Lord Jesus where crowds are after him and he needs to be busy and he needs to be doing all this stuff and people are waiting in line for him and he goes to a lonely place to pray. Turn back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. This is the story of John the Baptist, partially. Um, verse 12. Now, and his disciples came and took the body away and buried it. That's the body of John the Baptist. He had been murdered. And so they went and reported to Jesus. Now, when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. And when the multitudes heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. And when he went ashore, he saw a great multitude and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And when it was evening, the disciples came to him saying, the place is desolate and the time is already past. So send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said, we've only got five loaves, which have been something like a hamburger bun, five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. And ordering the multitudes to recline in the grass, he took the five loaves and two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food. Breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the multitudes, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. And there were about 5,000 men who ate, aside from women and children. So big old bunch that he fed with five hamburger buns and two fish. And immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. John the Baptist had been murdered. It was King Herod's birthday. What a heartbreak. You know, he wasn't surprised as God, but what a heartbreak to see, to know what had happened to the faithful prophet John the Baptist. It was King Herod's birthday, and he had John the Baptist beheaded because his wife, Herodias, and her daughter wanted it done. And the king had been especially pleased with the dancing of the daughter of Herodias. And so he said, oh, what can I do for y'all? And they said, we want the head of John the Baptist. Ooh. So they brought the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The beheading was at their request. Now this word has come to Jesus. Let's go on down um, to um, another typical day in the life of the Lord Jesus.
and go to Mark chapter 1. So all of these days are typical in the life of Jesus where there are these crowds and all of these demands that are placed on him. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 28. And immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they had come out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her, and he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. She served them. And when evening had come, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And early in the morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. I think one of the interesting things about this that spoke to my heart was here he is during great acceptance um, by the people in public ministry and uh, while being very busy ministering to human needs we see him being very intentional about prayer we see him after a time of huge victory stopping to pray I think there's a lesson in that. You know, might we, might we just say that often the greatest temptation to us not to pray is after spiritual success. You ever think that? Um, when our ministry is active and successful, and imagine it's never happened to me, but people waiting at the door. And Jesus sometimes would just say, I'll see y'all later and go to the woods and pray to the Father. When our ministry is active and successful and people are coming, we tend to think, why pray when there's all this to do? Why pray when we can minister? You know the old line that says, don't just stand there, do something? Well, in a spiritual way, I think the right thing to say is, don't just do something. Stand there. Wait. Because we are so inclined to just go ahead and do the next thing without asking. And we wind up acting independently of the Father, which Jesus never did. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus never moved to the next place until he got instruction from the Father. I am guilty. I am guilty. Because so many times it's just in us to think, oh, I know the next thing to do without asking. And Jesus never did that. He never did that. Um, there was no presumption with Jesus. The sin of presumption is huge. Um, 
is something that's been on my heart a good bit lately. That's where we just presume we know what to do. And um, the psalmist prayed, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins. And that's what that is. It's when we just plot on, you know, but Jesus never assumed what he was supposed to do. He always asked. Now, let's go back to the Gospel of Luke, and let me show you something. <clears throat> back to Luke chapter 6 and verse 11. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed together what they might do to Jesus. And it was at that time he went off to the mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Those are sent ones. That's the literal meaning of the word apostle. Simon, whom he had also named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the zealot, Judas, the son of James, Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He names them, but here's the deal. Before choosing the 12 apostles, Jesus spent all night in prayer, getting direction from the Father, specific direction. Who was to be chosen? Now, if God the Father had said, you pick Judas, he's going to be a traitor, we'd say, hmm, not Jesus. He did whatever the Father told him to do. You know, it put it on my heart. It it. it convicted me when I thought about how do we choose a church staff? Uh, how do we choose someone to function in ministry? Um, is it because God has said that he or she is the right person at the right place at the right moment? Is it because God said it or is it because, oh yeah, we like them. You know, here's their family. We've heard about them. Oh, they'll fit right in. The only answer that ever needs to be given is that God said so. This is who whom God said. And so if we ask a person to perform a ministry without God's leadership, we become a temptation to that person. Do you ever have somebody beg you to be on a church committee, maybe didn't really want to, or serve some ministry, and it just, eh, in your heart, but, oh, you've got to do this. And so then they put this obligation on you that you've got to do it. We've got to be careful about that. We've got to be careful about that because we become a temptation to that person to be out of the will of God. It is a prayer time that we have together so that we agree together about what God has said. Now, certainly the person asked has a responsibility before the Lord to find out what God is saying to them. You know, they need to hear God's voice about what they're to do and be careful to say no if God says no, no matter how much intimidation or obligation they put on us. So it's a constant communicating with God about what He wants us to do. Now the question is, are we willing to wait on God in depth and detail 
to die to human desire and reasoning and to resist the enemy. Am I willing to do that? Or is it just, ooh, it's got to be this. And we commit presumptuous sin because we didn't wait on God. That has convicted my heart of being guilty. And so sometimes we just have to go to the Lord and say, you make me understand who you're telling us needs to be in this position. And it may not make sense. Let me tell you what, Judas Iscariot didn't make sense, but God had a plan. And our job is what? To be dependent on the Father. It's so easy for the sin of presumption to be present in our lives in situations like this. We must hear the Lord. We must seek the Lord so that we can always confidently say, thus saith the Lord. I don't hear that much. And when I look at the life of the Lord Jesus, I think, oh my goodness, who do we think we are? Who do we think we are? It's a warning for us to seek God's will for all directives and all decisions ask you again, if Jesus had to do it, how come I think I don't? Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. <clears throat> Mark chapter 6. Usually after a spiritual victory or a mighty move of God, I think many of us just, just want to take a break and bask and the glory of all of that, and the satisfaction of God having moved. And so the question is, what do we do when we have experienced a high point, a mountaintop experience in our Christian lives? Well, let's see what Jesus did. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. And immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sending the multitude away. And after bidding them farewell, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now what's just happened? He just fed the multitude with five loaves and two fish. That's a pretty big deal. There was a lot going on. There were people believing in him. And so instead of sitting down and just enjoying the moment, he went to the mountain to pray. Verse 47. And when it was evening, the boat was in the midst of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And he intended to pass by them. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, it's going to be between 3 and 6 a.m. That's the fourth watch. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost. And they cried out, for they all saw him and were frightened. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage. It is I. Be not afraid. And he got in the boat with them, and the wind stopped. 
And they were greatly astonished. For they had not gained, watch this, they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was dull, insensitive. And when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they had come out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about the whole country and began to carry about uh, on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. And whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in marketplaces and treating him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak. And as many as touched it were being cured. Jesus went to pray. Now, he had just fed a multitude, 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. So it would be a good time, would it not? Is that not what we would do, to just bask in the moment, to rest in the act of God, in the miracle, in the work of God. But Jesus went to a mountain to pray. And when he prayed, the Father revealed his will and his ways. Now, the Father knew that Jesus was about to face a storm at sea. So his prayer time prepared Jesus for that. So the disciples had not stopped to pray, and they ran right on into the storm, unprepared. But Jesus walked into the storm after communing with his Father in prayer. The Father had prepared Jesus for what was coming, and Jesus met the storm with the power of God. One of the important things for us is to stay prayed up so that we come in, when we come into a very difficult situation in life, we don't need to have to go back and catch up on prayer. When we stay prayed up, then God makes our minds and hearts ready. And so we've got to stand guard when we experience spiritual victories and never just stop and take a break and bask in them for a while. We need to follow the Lord's example. Prayer makes us prepared for trials. And so when we stand ready in our prayer life, those interruptions that come to us, those hard things that come to us, are so much more tolerable because we've been with the Lord and he's prepared us for them and he's shown us, he will show us what to do. He will steady us during those times. Well, let's go to the gospel of John, John chapter 11. John chapter 11 and verse 32. This is the story, you will recognize it, of the death of Lazarus. And Mary and Martha, his sisters, were sad and thought that if Jesus had not gotten there too late, 
that Lazarus would still have been alive. And so let's begin in verse 32. Jesus finally showed up. And therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, oh, behold how he loved him. But Some of them said, could not this man who had opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, therefore, again began being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now, it was a cave, and a big stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. Martha, the sister of the sea, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and prayed and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came forth, bound hand and foot with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him, unbind him, and let him go. Here's an example of prayer of public thanksgiving. The people needed to know that what was about to take place was a result of prayer and obedience. I feel sure Jesus had already received instruction from the Father that this is what he was to go there and do. It was intentional that a Lazarus, that Lazarus died, intentional on God's part. And so there are other prayers of Jesus recorded in Scripture. These are just a sampling. There is the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. There are the prayers of Jesus from the cross. Luke tells us that as he was ascending into heaven, he was blessing the people. Blessings are prayers of blessings. So we look at Jesus and we see that he lived praying. He died praying. He ascended into heaven praying. And guess what? Scripture says that even now he is at the right hand of God praying 
for us. This is the life of the most successful leader in all of history. No sin, no disobedience, no pride, no unbelief, no selfish motives. Jesus gave relatively little teaching on prayer. His greatest teaching was that he was always praying. It eventually dawned on Jesus' disciples that Jesus prepared for every decision and challenge with the time of prayer. They finally got it. They saw it. Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 says, And it came about that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us just like, you know, John taught his disciples. And Jesus did. And he gave a pattern, a model, an outline for how we're to pray. And next time, we'll look at the model prayer. God bless you. Remember to pray for one another. Please pray for me and for this ministry of Kingdom Rock. We're grateful for you. God bless you.